If you were going to go on a hike to camp, like you were going to hike all day and then put up a tent to sleep, and then you were going to hike the next day and put up a tent to sleep at a new location, somebody tell me maybe the first three things that you'd be thinking about as you're getting ready. Yes, Jeff? Weight. Weight. How much weight you're going to carry? Did I hear right? Or did you put it? Why am I doing this? That's good. That's legitimate. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody else? Food. Yeah, absolutely. I get hungry. For sure. Daniel? Daytime. Uh, daylight. Yeah, when, when is daylight going to be? Marie? Water source. Let's talk about the water source. That, I don't know if you guys have noticed, I'm, I'm, I compulsively have a water bottle near me. Uh, I drink water like it's water. Uh, and I made it because I was one years old and my parents thought it'd be fun to give me soda and I had a freak out and so for a long time I didn't drink anything with carbonation. I had a bad experience. The water is something that you're going to think about and what is the water source where you're hiking to. And you are a spiritual being and life is a journey. We want it to be safe and comfy and predictable, but it's not. And the last of years certainly have taught us that. And I'd like to start this morning in Psalm 36 with this. I want to turn our focus today on God. Last Sunday was a healing Sunday. We, we had a great prayer time. We had different things we could focus on. But today I want to just focus on God. And I'm not going to give you a lot of prescription, a lot of responses, a lot of homework. Somebody say, thank you, finally, right? I want to focus on God, the fountain of life. And if you've ever bought anything online, you've probably used the reviews, what other people wrote, what other, their experiences, the, the pictures of when they were, what they wrote about buying the thing, what that was like to you. Psalms have for us something that millions of people have found to be more reliable than online reviews. So let's have a look at Psalm 36. Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the ocean depths. You care for people and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your unfailing love. O God, all humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You feed them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delight. For you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. God is the fountain of life. This word is, is the word wellspring. And you can imagine if you were a part of the ancient people, that water would be precious. They weren't any less thirsty back in them old days. But it was not as easy to just pick up bottled water or turn on the tap and have water. The, those are inventions of humans for convenience and other purposes, right? To find a source of water. You see this in the different stories of scripture. People looking for a source of water. And what we see here is the same word that would 
describe a natural wellspring of an occurrence in nature, in the outdoors, the outdoor places, without air conditioning, an occurrence of fresh water, drinkable water, helpful water, life-sustaining water. That's the word that's used here to describe God, a wellspring. Now, for a long time, a wellspring and water at the surface that was fresh, that you couldn't see where it came from, was treated with great superstition. As most of humanity throughout most of history has assigned spiritual significance to everything you see in the natural world. And so there's been a lot of, of superstition that has gone along with that. But it was actually the Roman architect Vitruvius that was the first to propose the idea that maybe a, a wellspring, a natural occurrence of fresh water, was actually the result of snow melt or other fresh water, a stream in, in the, the watershed from rain, right? That went underground and then resurfaced. Because prior to Rome, its aqueducts and everything, the theory was that under the ground must be just the rest of the ocean. That we're all just kind of floating around, right? We're all just surfing on land. But Vitruvius was the first to say, no, I think that it's not from the ocean. And they, they just thought that the land just filtered it. But since then, there have been many studies that have proven the, the theory of Vitruvius to be true. That it's a part of the watershed and it goes under the ground and comes up. And that you can imagine to ancient people, this concept, this, the value of a wellspring in, in their natural life it was essential to their survival. They had to carry, like Jeff said at the outset, how much can you carry? Can I carry enough water for me and my family to get from this place to that place? And do I already know that there's water there to drink? Their lives depended on it. And I want to turn our attention today to the truth that our lives depend on God. That God is the fountain of life. And I think it's healthy for us to kind of turn our attention away from other things this morning, put our attention on God, and say, just as is said here in Psalm 36, God is praiseworthy because the one who loves you is the one who is the wellspring of your life. Your life would not exist without God. Right? You didn't bring yourself into this world. God is the giver of life. So let's just talk about God a little bit this morning. God, the fountain of life. God is the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, always-present one who gave you your life and loves you. God is the giver of life. The fountain of life. Genesis 1 and 2, John 4, we see that God giving life to all that we see. The plants, the living things, and the first humans. Check this out. God said, let the waters swarm with fish. Sushi, I mean uh, fish, and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring at the same time. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas. Let the birds multiply in the earth. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the fifth day. Job. The book of Job is actually 
In our current human um, archives, the oldest manuscript we have from the Bible, the ancient, wise, most successful person of his time in history, observed this about God. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Here's another observation. May your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserve them all and the angels of heaven worship you. Nehemiah knew that God was the giver of life. Here John is describing Jesus as the spoken word, the living word of God who was present with God the Father at creation. In the beginning, the word already existed. Jesus already existed with the Father. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave light to everything that was created, and his light brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. We need to remember that today. Acts 17, the followers of Jesus, they understood this principle. He gives life and breath to everything. And he satisfies every need. And that is at Athens, in public discourse, and Mars Hills, and Greek philosophers, where they have open and public debate. And he doesn't go into a scientific textbook explanation of creation, but he makes a simple statement that God is the giver of life. We see from this passage in Psalm 36 and 9. Now let's just talk a little bit about who this God is because it's inspiring and helpful. It's helpful for us to know our place. It's helpful for us to know how we should respond. Abraham observed God as everlasting. Jehovah Olam, the everlasting the God, the one who always was, who is, and who never will be. We see this echoed in Psalms and Isaiah. God has always been, God will always be. In Genesis, we see in the beginning, God, right? Before any humanity, before anything else, God has always been. And we see observed in Romans and in Isaiah that God's purpose, power, and plans have not changed. God has always been, God is, and God will always be. So God is the fountain of life, the giver of life, the eternal one, and is all-powerful. Jesus, Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Everything is possible with God. Genesis 17, 1, God described himself, I am El Shaddai. God Almighty, the one who has all power. That's how God described himself. O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and your powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show unfailing love to thousands, but you also bring the consequences of one generation's sin upon the next. You are the great and powerful God, the Lord of heaven's armies. You have all the wisdom and do great and mighty miracles. Jeremiah the prophet is remembering, he's reciting in this prayed prophecy 
the way that God had described himself to Moses in his own name, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, he's reciting that and saying, God is all-powerful. The fountain of life, the eternal one, is all-powerful. Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? Come on, let your faith arise today in your spirit. There is nothing that is too hard for the living God. The one true living God. Nothing is too hard for him. If someone agree with me with an amen, nothing is too hard for him. God is also all-knowing. God is all-powerful and all-knowing. Have you ever met a really strong person that didn't know a lot? Or a really smart person that couldn't lift a lot? God is all Y'all just like breathe over the laugh of the wreck. God is all-powerful and all-knowing. Matthew 10, 29, Jesus said, Not a single sparrow could fall to the ground without your father knowing it. He knows all the details. Proverbs 15, 3. Solomon, the Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. Nothing escapes his attention. Psalm 47, how great is our Lord! His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. The human brain has yet to fully comprehend all that God has comprehended. If you could comprehend all that God has comprehended, maybe you wouldn't be motivated to worship Him. Hello? God understands it all. 1 John 3.20 God is greater than our feelings and He knows everything. Are you thankful for that? This is who we worship. This is who we come to. This is who we praise. God is also always present. He's always with us. And Pastor Rebecca gave a great message in December on that. Still on the website, the podcast of the notes is so helpful, so comforting. Deuteronomy 31 8, the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Acts 17 27, again, in public discourse among the philosophers of Greece, was declared this truth about God. He is not far from any one of us. God is everywhere, always present. Acts 14, 16-17, the Jesus followers taught this, uh, according, I'm sorry, that should be John 14, 16-17, Jesus teaching about the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. So God the Holy Spirit is with you. Even if we feel alone, even if we think we're abandoned, God the Holy Spirit is with you. Now, also, my last point here. So God is not only the fountain of life, the giver of life, the eternal one, the all-powerful one, the all-knowing one. God is also love. A Godly love. Not a human kind of love. God is love. God loves you. This eternal God loves you. And this, this message today should be welling up within you. Thankfulness, comfort, spiritual strength, motivation to share about this love with somebody else. The eternal, all-powerful God, that's who loves you. That's who loves you. God is love. 
what Jesus said. John 3, 16. This is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And His love is brought to full expression in us. The one true living God, the fountain of life, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, overflowing in love for you. It's the fountain of life, the wellspring. Close out with a story you're probably familiar with from Jesus in John chapter 4, the woman at a well, talking about spiritual thirst. I think maybe it's helpful for us today to ask ourselves what we're drinking from. Now, I can probably just pose a question to the group, you know, can a billionaire buy your love? Can a billionaire buy your love? might have different answers to that. <laughs> but the reality is that there are billionaires that produce product that get a lot of our attention and passion and affection. And I think that Jesus said he came to give us life and that's the full and the pleasure is an invention of God. That God does want us to have pleasure in his life. But I think it's helpful for us to pause and say, what are we drinking from? Am I drinking from, first and foremost, God, the fountain of life? Allow me a rabbit trail of an illustration for a moment. On April 21st of 1859, an incredible thing happened in London. Thousands of people came out to celebrate. Women wore their finest clothing, men were in suits and top hats, and children clamored to get a glimpse of the very first public drinking fountain. Fountain was used by thousands of people a day. And to understand its mass appeal, you have to understand that city life in London was a nightmare for the poorer classes in the 19th century. And a big part of that nightmare was drinking water. Most people didn't have access to water in their homes. Instead, many got their water from the nasty cesspool known as the River Thames. The Thames was essentially a common sewer, worse than city rivers of today. Those that did not get their water directly from the Thames often got it from wells that were dirty and contaminated with disease. Cholera was rampant. Outbreaks of the disease in 1847 and 1854 killed 58,000 people in London. And the accepted theory at the time was that diseases, including cholera, were spread through bad-smelling air. 
But some people were skeptical of this, including a scientist named John Snow, who's pictured here. John Snow thought that cholera might be spread through drinking water. He created a map of cholera, which you see there. He created a map of cholera sufferers and tied a particularly brutal outbreak to one, one water well. He then went and removed the pump handle at that well so that people couldn't access the water, and the pandemic in that neighborhood ended. Josh Snow subsequently became known as the father of modern epidemiology. So that huge credit, right? Shortly after Snow's discovery, the Metropolitan Free Drinking Fountain and Cattle Trough Association was formed. In 1879, the association, which was made up of mostly wealthy Christian philanthropists, had built almost 800 drinking fountains in London. The group had a couple of different agendas in building drinking fountains. Clean, safe drinking water for poor people and temperance. Alcoholism was destroying families, but until there was clean, safe drinking water, the temperance movement didn't have an alternative to offer people in place of booze. Coffee and tea were expensive, milk was for babies, and many people drank alcoholic beverages simply by default. Temperance fountains were constructed in churches and public parks and often right outside the local pub. The architectural style of these fountains varied greatly depending on who commissioned them. They weren't like the drinking fountains you grew up with. They were generally made of stone or granite, and some were elaborate structures, not just drinking fountains, but symbols of philanthropy. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, temperance fountains were constructed all over London and in the United States. I'm so thankful to learn about that from one of my favorite podcasts, 99% Invisible. What are you drinking from? Your spirit. What sustains your spirit? What do you drink from first and foremost? Let's just go back to the words of Jesus, the Son of the living God, this fountain of life. Because here's what I believe. A personal relationship with God satisfies our spiritual thirst. And I can't do it for you. I can hold the water to you. I can tell you what it means to me. But I can't drink for you. Here's what Jesus said with the woman at the well. Those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. God is the fountain of life. And the words of Jesus in this place, the grammar is important. Those who drink is not a one-time past vocabulary. And grammar. It is a continuum, and the Greek has this grammar that says it's been done, it is being done, it will yet be done. It's a daily, it's a moment by moment. Do you have a flow? Do you and God have a flow? Are you drawing from, drinking from the fountain of the living God? If today your answer is no, don't feel guilty. We're all human. We all get turned this way and that way. Jesus compared us to sheep. Confess where you've been wrong and turn from it and make a fresh commitment to God that you will drink from the living God 
and receive his grace. Jesus didn't go to the cross for you so that you could relate to God out of guilt and shame. No, we came to remove those things. This is a time, this is a place for us to come back to that simple, powerful, transformative, life-giving, giving me strength and peace and joy kind of relationship with the living God where I can smile again, I can laugh again, I can enjoy life anew in a fresh way because I'm drinking from the living God, the fountain of life. The fountain of life. God loves you. He loves you so much. God loves you, the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, always-present one who gave you life, loves you. He's your source. We can drift into thinking that we are our own source, that we are what sustains us. That always ends in bad things. God is the fountain of life. He's the one who loves you. Let's close our time in prayer this morning. And again, I, I'd like for us to even just transition into a time of prayer where you can receive prayer from someone else. You can have some time with God this morning. Let us not fall into the trap of thinking that God wants us to feel shame or guilt. It should only motivate us to turn away from the mistakes and receive His grace and love and forgiveness. God loves you. He's the fountain of life. He's the one we can drink from. He's the one we can drink from. So allow me, allow me to close our time in prayer. We just focus on God and come with life this morning. God, we've heard your word this morning. And just like the followers of Jesus, we say we believe, but help us in our unbelief. Any area of doubt, any question. Us to turn from thinking that we sustain ourselves, help us to turn from filling our time with distractions, thinking that more hours on this or on that are going to fix our problems. Help us to come back to you, your children, in your presence. Drink from you the living water. Turn us today by your Holy Spirit in your presence. We would drink from you and be fulfilled, refreshed, and healed in your living water. We would thirst no more. It'd be bubbling up within us. It'd be and strength and peace and joy in every season, Lord, that we would be connected with you, loving you, thankful to you, worshiping you, walking in your presence every day, every day, every moment, just communing with you in relationship with you, finding what we are looking for, the deep 
fulfillment, finding it in you. God, we ask that you shut out any voice that is getting in the way, any thought that is getting in the, in the way, any emotion that's getting in the way. Lord, we hear the description about you today. Words that came from your mouth, oh God, words that came from other people. We believe that that is who you are. Today, we say, my soul, my spirit yearns for you like a deer panting for the water. I yearn for you, O God. Here now in this place, help us to drink from you. That our spirits would find fulfillment and pleasure in you. And we make a fresh commitment to structure our day and our lives, cutting out whatever needs to be cut out for us to be able to focus on you. Help us to sense your leading, sense your direction. And regardless of things that have happened, words that have been said in recent weeks, months, years, help us to be an encouragement to each other. Help us to be an encouragement to each other. Lord, that we would not have one among us who feels dry, but that all of us would sense that living water sustaining us, and not only sustaining us, but bubbling up to being overflowing. Help us, Lord, to draw from you, to live in that place. We thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen.